Well, we're in this great series called what? Relationship. Excellent. Three of you remember. That's fantastic. Or could read. That's one of the two things. So, and uh, as we can do now, series on relationships, we have talked last week about reconnecting when relationships break down and uh, talked from a from a spiritual perspective. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk very practically. This, this next couple of, of sermons are going to be very practical. So if you've never taken notes in church, this is your opportunity to take some notes. I'm going to get down to the nitty-gritty of relationships, especially in the area of conflict. Say it with me. Say conflict. conflict. Come on, try it again. So uh, last week we talked from a spiritual perspective, and today I want to talk to you from an emotional point of view. Today's message is going to be very practical. I'm going to give you a lot of, lot of application, a lot of things that you can actually use. So we sh- we'll start it this week, and then next week we'll kind of finish it in dealing with conflict. Is there anybody in this room that have ever dealt with conflict? Okay, there's 17 of you. That's honest. Let's try it again. Is there anybody in this room ever dealt with conflict? Is there anybody in this room that are dealing with conflict? All right, so that uh, conflict is kind of like a, a constant. Why? Because there are people in our lives. The reason you have conflict is because you are in relationships to other people. Now, listen to our key verse again in 1 Corinthians 16, 14. It says, do what? Do everything in love. Now, does that include conflict? Absolutely. Now, uh, how many of you recognize that you're not in a relationship for very long and you come to the realization that the person that you are relating to is not perfect? And when that happens, here's what happens. The sparks begin to fly and we are entering what I would term the war zone. And we're entering a wonderful thing called conflict. Now, please understand this today that all relationships will have conflict. Just the fact that you have conflict doesn't mean something is wrong. It just means adjustments need to be made. But the difference between successful and unsuccessful relationships is how they deal with conflict. And uh, in Romans 12 verse 18, we dealt with this verse and we're going to delve in it a little bit again today. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Now look at these next three words. Say it out loud with me. One, two, three. Live at peace. Say it again. Live at peace and with everyone. Now, live at peace. Conflict can either destroy your relationship or build your relationship. You say, Henry, really conflict can build my relationship? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I personally believe this with all of my heart, that if you deal with conflict the right way, it can actually enhance your relationship with the other person. Let me put it to you this way. It's a principle that I believe with all of my heart. It's this. Conflict handled the right way produces intimacy. Conflict handled the right way produces intimacy. You say, what do you mean by that? When two people are willing to deal with conflict the way that God wants us to deal with conflict, what happens to us, we actually get closer to one another. You don't really know anybody very well until you've been in a conflict with them. Amen, Pastor Annie. I believe that. You see, conflict handled the wrong way produces what? Stress, stagnation, irritation, and eventually in relationship separation. Now, there's a, there are ways that people deal with conflict. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but let me just kind of throw them out at you. Uh, some people uh, run from conflict. Whenever there's a little stir, whenever there's a little disagreement, you know, they just kind of, they just kind of take off. They just kind of run away. I just don't want to deal with this. Some people ignore conflict. 
And then sometimes there are just people that the conflict is right there, but, you know, it's kind of the big old white elephant in the room. Not that we put white elephants in rooms, but, you know, this big old white elephant in the room, and nobody wants to deal with it. Everybody knows it's an issue, but nobody wants to touch it. Nobody just, oh, let's just, let's just ignore it. You know, everybody sees that big old wart on your nose, but nobody wants to talk about it. And so we ignore it. Here's another one. Some people hide from conflict. As the first sign, instead of just running, they just hide. They just kind of duck and dive, duck and dive. And here's another one. Some people create conflict. Those that are saying amen, we know who they are. How many of you, don't say this, but how many of you know some people who just create conflict? They, their job is just wherever they go, conflict is going to happen. I mean, they just create it. That's just, they are just conflict creators. And then the last one, and this is really the best one, some people deal with conflict. And really, that is the only way to handle it. you got to deal with it despite, and here's the problem, because here's why sometimes we don't deal with it. It's what I call the fear factor. We're afraid. There are four words that strike fear into the heart of every man coming from his wife. We need to talk. Boys, can I just have an amen for those of you that are married? For those of you who are not married, you don't care. But anyway, that's, it's the reality. We need to talk. And this, that is suddenly those words is kind of, I mean, they can tell you anything. But when your wife says, we need to talk, there's suddenly this, what, 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 what? what? I mean, everything, what, what now? What, what did I do? You know, we kind of begin to, and it's the fear fact. And sometimes we don't want to deal with it because we're afraid of what might happen. Or because we've experienced conflict in the wrong way and we haven't dealt with it the right way. And so here's what happens. We become defensive. We become distant. We become, you know, somebody says something, so we begin to defend. But wait a minute, you know, you know, our wife, you know, your wife or somebody else wants to address an issue in your life, and you know, maybe an anger issue, and say, you know, honey, we really need to talk about the anger issue. You go, anger issue? What anger issue are you talking about? We begin to be defensive, and we begin to defend our own turf, and and uh, and then we begin to be demanding. And, and then there are some sick people who love conflict. Let me just say this as lovingly as possible. If you love conflict, you really need help. Because anybody in their right mind does not. I don't know about you. I hate conflict. Is anybody else with me? I hate when things are not right between me or any other person. I don't, I, I'm not created like that. I don't like it. I don't like it when there is indifference in, with people that I love, people that I care for. Because conflict can hurt relationships deeply. It can damage families. It can destroy marriages. And I want you to note in Matthew chapter 12, and we see Jesus respond to the Pharisees when they kind of accuse him of casting out demons by the, the power of the prince of demons. Jesus was casting out demons. They say, oh yeah, he's doing it because you know, he's, you know he's, he's, he's doing it by the power of the prince of Beelzebub. And Jesus makes a powerful statement that he says that even the devil understands. Just notice this. I'm reading out of the message. I'm going to read out of three different translations to kind of let us see the emphasis of this. Jesus confronted their slander. A judge who gives opposite verdicts on the same person cancels himself out. A family that is in constant squabble disintegrates. Now look at the emphasis here in Matthew 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. I love the way that the CV translation puts it. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to them, Any kingdom where people fight each other, somebody say fight each other, fight. look at this, will end up ruined. 
and a town or family that fights will soon destroy itself. In Mark 3 verse 25, the same kind of phrase comes out of the Living Bible. A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. God has not built us to be people to live in constant strife. And uh, uh, the Bible is very, very clear how destructive conflict, squabbling, arguing, fighting can be. And therefore, I think we ought to learn how to deal with it. The honest part is that most of us, and maybe some of you are further along than I am, but I believe uh, most of us have never been taught on how to really work through uh, uh, some conflict in our lives. Because here's what you have to understand in life, uh, because life is not static and people are not static. People don't remain the same. People change. And because of that, there is motion within people. There's motion within emotion, and that motion causes friction. So there's movement. How many of you know movement causes friction? And so when there's movement, there's kind of, there's challenge. And, and, and there's a challenge in my heart and there's a challenge in your heart because we're going to have conflict. But there's a reason why. There's a reason why. The root of conflict, we find this in James chapter 4. Listen to this. Why do we fight? The Bible is very blunt. It says there's one reason for it. And we find this in verses 1 to 3. It says this. Why do you fight and argue with each other? Anybody want to know? Look at this. Why do you fight and argue? Isn't it because you are full of... Come on, you can help me preach. Full of selfish desires that fight to control your body. So the Bible is clear. The reason we fight, the reason we squabble, the reason we argue is because we have what? Selfish desires. Now notice verse 2. You want something you don't have and you will do anything to get it. You'll even kill. But now you still cannot get what you want, and you won't get it. Somebody say, I won't get it. Look at this. By what? Fighting and arguing. So, so there is the selfish desire. There's this need, I think, that needs to be met, and I cannot meet it. So because this need is, not, is going unmet, now there's the squabble. There's this arguing. There's this fighting about this need that's unmet. And, and so I'm fighting about it because I'm trying to gain it. And James writes and he says, hey, all you're arguing, all you're squabbling, all you're fighting is not going to give the very thing that you think you so badly need. Now notice he goes on. He said, but you still cannot get what you want and you won't get it by fighting and arguing. You should what? Pray for it. Yet even when you do pray, your prayers are not answered. Hello. Because you pray just for Anybody out there? Write this down. The root cause of conflict is competing desires. The root cause of conflict is competing desires. I want what I want. You want what you want. And we have competing needs and interests. And because we are different in so many ways, conflict is inevitable within our relationship. So the question then becomes, how can we deal with it in a healthy way? So today we're going to look at how to have a good fight. In the words of that great theologian, let's get ready to rumble, okay? So uh, we, we're going to talk about it. How, how it, when we do address it, when we do come to place where we address it, let's talk about it real quick. And I'm going to give you a kind of three ideas that I believe will help you emotionally. Let me just say this before I say this. Let me say this. It is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Uh, did you hear what I said? It is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. 
And you, you have the choice. And, and there's such a reward when, when even when people come and, and, and they work through the process and they work together, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whatever it is, and they work through it and they get to the other side of it and, and, and they, they start putting all their defenses aside and allow God to begin to deal with the issues in their heart. It's so much better. It's the way that God has ordained for us as Christians to do, that we, that we deal with it. We, we deal with one another. We talk with one another. We work through that conflict instead of just running away from it. Uh, let me just say this. If you leave one place because you, you didn't get along you, and you go to another place, you're going to find five other people in the other place that's exactly like the person you left. It just works like that. And why is it? Because it's not just about the other person. God is trying to work something out in you. So let's, over the next couple of weeks, let's talk about how to have a good fight. Anybody want to learn how to fight? I'm not talking about beating somebody physically. I'm saying how to learn to have a good fight when we work through a relationship. Here's the first one. Number one is you got to prepare for the fight. And in preparing for the fight, there are three ingredients that I'm going to give you today that I believe are crucial. If you don't have them, you'll find always, you'll find yourself in a place where your conflict leads to actual uh, uh, walking away from it instead of really helping you resolve the issues. Here, here it is. How to have a good fight. Prepare for the fight. Number one, you pray. You pray. You talk to God. Now, believe me, there's a lot of people that are trying to deal with conflict and they've never talked to God about it. Before you talk to the person that you're about to talk with, talk to God about the conflict. You pray about it. You admit it to Him. Honestly, sometimes you may end up solving it right there and then. I know there's sometimes in my life when, when, I have a, when I have a perceived conflict with another person or, or perceive how they are, and I take it to God and I pray, and then I find out that it was actually my fault. Have you ever done that? And God says, wait a minute, let, let, let's deal with, with this issue here. Let, let's work through it. It's actually your issue. It's not theirs. And I never even had to confront anything. All I needed to do was change my own heart towards it. Look at Galatians 1. This is so powerful. Galatians 1 verse 19 to 14. Listen to what it says. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That verse is so loaded with spiritual impetus, it's not even funny. It says we ask God to give you what? To give you complete knowledge. Somebody say complete knowledge. Complete knowledge of what? Of his will. Anybody want the will of God in your life? You're going to get it through praying. Look at this. And to give you spiritual wisdom. Anybody need some wisdom in this house? Now, there's a lot of worldly wisdom, but sometimes what we need is spiritual wisdom. And the Bible says the wisdom of God is not like the wisdom of the world. The kingdom of God is the law of opposites. Say it, law of opposites. That means that in the natural, it might work one way, but God says supernaturally, I want it to work another way. And in throughout the word of God, you find that God addresses certain things in a different way. For us, when it comes to somebody does something to us, we want an eye for an eye. We want to take them out. You do it to me, I do it more to you. You know, God help you. If you say that, I'm going to say it back. But in the kingdom of God, how many of you know that's not how it works? If somebody offends me, my job is to do what? To forgive them. My job is to release them. My job is not to speak evil of them. Now, that, that takes a little bit of power and a little bit of supernatural control. The Bible, the, the Bible is so clear about this. It says, love your We talked about this before. Let's try it again. Love your enemies. Okay? And even your frenemies. I mean, you love them. 
You, you, you have to love him. That's the principle that applies in every single thing. It's the kingdom of opposite. He says in order to have, you have to keep. No, no, that's the world, right? That's worldly wisdom. Say, if you want to have, what do you have to do? You have to hold on. But God says, if you want to have, what do you got to do? You got to give. It works opposite. So it's the kingdom of opposite. So we know that spiritual wisdom. So Paul is saying, hey, I don't want you just to have natural wisdom. I want you to have spiritual wisdom. And notice, and what? Understanding. Now, why is this so important? Look at the next verse in your notes. I love this. Then the way you live, somebody say the way I live. Look at this. Will always honor and stop there for a, for a moment. Is there anybody in this room that can honestly say to me, hey, I want to live my life so that God can get honor? Anybody? You can raise your hand and wave at me if that's you. Do you want to live your life in such a way that it pleases God? So he says, if you're going to do that, you, you need to know the will of God for your life. And if you know the will of God, you're going to need spiritual wisdom. If you need spiritual wisdom, you need understanding how, how it is applied in your life. Notice, and your lives will produce every kind of what? Good fruit. All the while. Somebody say, all the while. You will grow as you learn to know God how? Better and better. All of that stems from the fact that you went to God and asked God. You prayed for it. Look at this. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power. So you will have, watch this now, all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with Is it not true that we want our relationships to produce what in our lives? Joy. That's what we want. We love one another. We, I mean, is it not so much fun? I, uh, when I relate to my friends, when, when, when you know, we just kind of have a good time together, we chat about stuff and we chat about their kids and we chat about the different things. It's just so much fun to relate to somebody, isn't it? You talk about things that you relate with and, and you, know, you hit golf balls with people's names on it. And I mean, it's just so much fun. It's just kind of relating and talking and, and chatting back and forth and just having a good time. It sounds to me like none of you know to have a good time. Is anybody out there hearing what I'm saying? And it's that fellowship that, that we have relationship because they produce joy. But Paul says there are some relationships you're going to need some endurance and you're going to need some patience. Am I talking to anybody? There's sometimes in our relationships that we don't enjoy. Sometimes in our relationship, that's why we pray. We ask God. Now, many of the conflicts we have in life occur, here's why, when we expect other people to meet the needs which God can only meet himself. Many times we are looking to other people to meet our needs, and God says, I want to meet that need in your life, ask me. He says the solution to conflict resolution is not to fight, but to ask me. I've heard people say this, you know, if I just get married, all my needs will be met. Come on now. Come on now. Let's not be silly here. If, if I could just meet the right person, man, that is, then, then, then the need in my life will be met. So, so no matter how wonderful that person is in your life, you will never meet a person who can fully meet all your needs. Why? Because God designed you in such a way that only He can meet the deepest need of your life. And until you as a Christ follower go to Him and ask Him to help you to know that He can fulfill the need in your life, that emotional need in your life that somebody else cannot, you are always going to have conflict with people. 
But when I'm expecting someone else to meet, and you say, well, how do I know? Here's a telltale sign. When you are expecting somebody else to meet your need, there's a warning light that comes up in your emotions. And it is a thing called anger. Anger is like a red flag. It's a warning light that says, I'm expecting someone else to meet my needs that God wants to meet in my life. I'm asking somebody else to be God in my life. And can I tell you something? That is unfair. That is unfair. So before we address anybody, before we want to confront anybody, whether that be somebody we know very well or not, before we do that, the first place we go to is a place of prayer. That's the first place of preparation. We pray. We ask God for wisdom. We ask God for knowledge. We ask God for understanding. And we ask God, Lord, if there's anything in my life that I'm, I'm hoping somebody else would meet that need, help me so that you can fulfill that need in my life. There's a place called repentance. And I know we don't like that word nowadays in modern church. But how many of you know there is a thing called repentance? There is a thing called you're doing the wrong thing. And repentance just simply means to turn around. It means you're going in one direction, but you turn around and going in the opposite direction. You say, God, I was wrong. God, I am sorry. The second way that you prepare yourself for a fight, which really links in with us as you pray, is very important. First, we said you pray. And then secondly, here's what you do. You admit your own need. You admit your own need. So you ask yourself this question, how much of this is my fault? I see you're very excited about that question. Before you start accusing and blaming and attacking, you check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? He said, wait a minute. I mean, I'm all tore up from the floor up. I better, I better check my emotions. I, I, I'm going to see what's going on. Here's the question you ask. Am I the problem? Am I the cause of this? Here's another thing. Is there a blind spot in my life? Now, folks, let me explain a blind spot to you. The reason it's called a blind spot is because you can't see it. Wow. Great wisdom. The reason it's called a blind spot, and let me say this, every single person in this room has a blind spot. We all have things that we don't see. We all have things that we don't recognize. We all have things that, and that's why God puts other people in our lives to help us see things from from a complete perspective, not just from our own perspective. When we read the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's giving us the same story from four different perspectives. Are you with me? And so what we need to see, we need to see, because sometimes there's a blind spot in your life. You don't see it. You don't know it. You don't recognize it. And there's not one person in this room who goes, well, you know, I don't have a blind spot. There you go. There's your blind spot. (laughs) You're full of pride. You're arrogant. That's what you are. My name's Henny. I'm your friend. I'm trying to help you. You being a pompous, arrogant Jack Diddley. That's what you are. So why not just admit to it and say, yeah, that, I'm a jack donkey and I need to fix it. My wife told me I can no longer say ass. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> Did I just say it? I, I, baby, I, really, I didn't mean to, all right? But that's what you are. You're a jackass and you got you to gotta just admit to it. You have to ask yourself, what, what part do, have, I do, to, have I to play in this conflict? Listen, conflict is not a one-person thing. If you are, have conflict with yourself, by yourself, with yourself, you have problems. <laughs> uh, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? 
Now look at this, Matthew 7, again, I'm going to read out of two translations, the New Living Translation, this, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you'll be treated as you what? Treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So if, whether you like, well, you know, uh, I, I don't have to live that. Listen, whatever standard you judge by, that's the standard God expe- expects you to live by. Look at this in Matthew 7, uh, verse 1 and 2 out of the message. I love this. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Woo. Come on now, somebody. Am I preaching yet? Let me tell you something. If you have an issue in your life, if you have, and this, this whole critical spirit about already, you know, always pulling other people down. You know, just pulling other people down or talking behind other people's backs and, and that kind of gossip. You got to deal with it. You got to deal with that, that thing in your life if that's what you have. And sometimes you don't even realize it. And somebody has to walk into your life and say, listen, man, every time you talk, you talk about everybody else. You ought to do something very spiritual. It's called shut up. That's what you ought to do. Listen, if somebody it comes into your life, let me give you some advice. This is how we keep the harmony and unity within families, the harmony and unity within relationships, the harmony and unity within church. If somebody wants to gossip about somebody else, tell them, hey, stop. In the name of love, before you break my heart and say, do you see these two things? There is not a sign saying garbage dump. So don't come and dump that trash here. Shops closed. If you have an issue, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 18, here's what you do. You go to that person and you sit with them privately first and you deal with it before you want to, you know, well, let's have a prayer meeting about sister so-and-so. Come on now, sister bucket mouth. That's the problem. I mean, we keep, and it destroys you. And listen to what the Bible said. The Bible says in Proverbs, it's, it's a scary verse for me. It says this. It says, God hates him who sows discord amongst brethren. It, it doesn't even say God hates the discord. He says God hates him who sows discord. If you come in a little schism, little tears, and you go and you drop little things, and you talk about other people, you got to stop it. Are you with me? you got to stop it. And this is exactly what, what Jesus said. He says, man, that critical spirit that you're always throwing out to other people, he says, guess what? That's got a way of coming back to you, and it's going to visit your house. Don't do it. When you are in a conflict, before you start to get the sword dust out of your husband's or wife's or friend's eye, get that telephone pole out of yours. Ask, am I the problem? Am I being demanding? Am I being unrealistic? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being impatient? Am I being insensitive? Am I the problem? I'm just wondering how much conflict resolution we will have if we just first and foremost admit our own need within that within that problem. There's no such thing as a one-person problem in a family. If we have family problems, it's not your problem. They are our problems. If there's a problem, it is our problem. The Bible says this in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have not sinned, we are just deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, I'm preaching way better than you saying amen. It's getting down here. Nice. Be honest. We know, we know that no one is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all do dumb things. Can we just admit that this morning? 
We all do dumb things. We understand that. And you must admit you're part of the problem. You must admit it. Because until you admit it, you can never be set free from it. Until you acknowledge it and say, you know what? I really, my mouth's always running at a, you know, a million miles a minute. I better check it. You know, this, this is, I, I better watch. I better watch what I say. I, I better be very careful about this. And, you know, saying it in the guise of a prayer request. Well, we need to pray for so-and-so. How many of you know there's a lot of gossip going around it just dressed in other clothes because we know it's wrong. And then we get mad at people like, well, you just don't want to face the truth. No, honey. The problem is your mouth is out of whack. And the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. The Bible says that little member right there sticking out, that little thing. The Bible says that is very, it's set on fire by hell itself. Now, why does it say that? Why does James use that such vivid description? Because how many of you know you can start a fire emotionally in people by what you say? You can start a fire and sow discord because some people are not mature enough. And then you cause people who want to learn, who want to grow. Now suddenly they pick up your offense. Woo, now I'm preaching where you don't want me to go. And they pick up your offense because you're offended at somebody. And you are not mature enough to deal with it. And you're not mature enough to acknowledge it. And you're not mature enough to go and have a, a peace conversation with somebody. Because God wants us to be peacemakers. That's what he wants us to be. He said, live at peace with everyone. That's our job. Say, that's my job. job. We've got to understand it. So let's talk about it. So we pray. We talk to God. Number two, we what? Admit our own need. We ask ourselves, how much of this is my fault? And here is the one that is really crucial. You have to have the right attitude. You have to have the right attitude. And here's the right attitude. Win-win or no deal. Your attitude is key in solving conflict and working through difficult difficulties in your relationships. Remember the verse we started with today. What it says is live at peace. Now look at this in Matthew 5 verse 9. And I love that this is in the Beatitudes and it's so powerful. God blesses those. Now, anybody want to be blessed by God? Come on. Anybody want to be blessed by God? I want to look at this. God blesses those who what? Work for what? Mm. God blesses those who what? Work for peace. It it tells me a couple of things. That to have peace is going to take work. Hello? and, And it tells me something else. If I want God's blessing, I must be a person that always have an emphasis to work towards peace. Look at this. For they, they who? Those who work for peace. For they will be called what? The children of God. What a great verse. Do you want to be a child of God? If your answer is yes, then you got to work for peace. you got to be a peacemaker. you got to work towards peace. There are several attitudes that we can allow when it comes to this. Let me just give you a few. Here's an attitude that that people have when they work out, when they sit down and say, you know, before they go into, into a conversation with the other person. Remember, this is the kind of, we are preparing for the fight. This is the emotional pre-fight routine. Now, if, if, if the word preparation trips you up, it should trip you up. Why? Because it should cause you to think, do not confront a person when your emotions are out of whack. Well, I need to tell them right now. I need to write this email right now. How many of you have started writing an email and thank God the Holy Spirit got a hold of you? (laughs) Emoji, 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 anger, anger, fire, fire. 
One of the things that I've learned is always, I, if I write the response, I always get somebody else's opinion in it. I always ask my wife, I, ask, I will ask some of the staff, I say, hey, could you just, kind of, just read this, you know, just make sure that I'm not out of whack because I need to be checked. And sometimes I don't realize what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, so I need somebody else to help me. Why? Because, because I want to win a friend, I don't want to win an argument. The goal is not to, to say, well, guess what? I'm right and you're wrong. That's not the goal. The goal is to be righteous. The goal is to be the least. The goal is he must increase, I must decrease. <laughs> the goal is he must live, I must die. And my flesh dies real hard. That's why the Bible says we are living sacrifice. You know why? Because we wiggle off the altar. That's why you got to tie that sucker down. Are you okay out there this morning? Am I talking to the right people? You, 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 need, to, you need to understand this. Here's the, first, here's the first attitude. I win, you lose. And this, one, this is one of reacting. This is the one I win. I assert my will and you give in to it. I'm totally right, you are totally wrong. My way is the only way. And some of you fight this way in marriage and you just keep on going until you win. Until you get your way, regardless of what it does to your spouse, regardless of what it does to the other, you just keep on pushing, 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 nag, nag, push, push, nag, nag, push, push. The Bible says, and this is not just wives. How many of you know you, we got some nagging husbands too? We call them winos. They whine. All right, but it's kind of you insist, you know, it's my way. You know, I win, you lose, no matter what. I'm right, you're wrong. That is not the attitude that you need to have. You, that, that's not how you deal with it. Here's another attitude. You win, I lose. And, and, w- w- you say, what do you mean by that? I give in and roll over and play dead. You know, I want your approval so I pretend like I'm a doormat and I always give in to your wishes. It's always your way. Now, it's a very peaceful way to live, but it's also a very frustrating way to live. Because what happens with people like that, they really don't, they are not honest about their emotions and they don't honestly deal with their emotions. So there's a great old word, they gunny sack their emotions and they become passive aggressive. Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of passive aggressive people? They'll say yes, yes, yes up to a point and then suddenly you look at this person that's always been so docile and then what happens? They explode. Like what happened to Aunt Gertie? I mean, look what the... It's because Aunt Gertie has been packing her down for a long time. And Uncle Bob is about to get it. So, uh, you know, you win, I lose. That is not the way to have, that's not the right attitude. Here's another one. Nobody wins. We both lose. This way he says, here's what we do. I withdraw. I back away from the conflict. I ignore the problem. I avoid it at all costs. We don't talk about it. It's like the, the thing sometimes that amazes me when I used to do marital counseling, and thank God I've been delivered from it, but when I used to do it, and I sit with couples and, and, and talk to them, and I cannot believe that couples would, would be angry at one another and not talk to one another for a couple of weeks. That they, it's just everybody's work, you know, working on pins and needles, and, and they just kind of they never deal with the issue. They just kind of, you know, oh, yes, we just don't. Nobody wins. Why? Because it's not being, and guess what? Both lose. Nothing is ever resolved. Why? Because I keep on walking away from the conflict. That's not the right attitude. And here's, here's the one that I believe we need to have. We win, and we win together. 
What does it mean? We work out mutual goals together. I not only care about solving the problem, but I care about the relationship and I care about you. I want us to have a mutually satisfactory resolution to this conflict. Why? Because you're so important to me and the relationship is so important to me. Now, once we prepared ourselves in this way, spiritually, emotionally, now, and we've checked our, our own attitude, not only towards the circumstance, but especially towards the person. Only then, and only then should we move to the next phase, which we'll, we'll be talking about next week. But only then is when we are going to discuss the sit down and how to actually talk to somebody and how to have a conversation with somebody that you are in conflict with. But in order to finish this, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to show you this incredible verse when it comes to attitude. Very familiar, but let me show you this. Look at this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Four great questions, isn't it? Now look at this, verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and notice this, and working together. Somebody say, working together. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Working together how? With one mind and? And here's something that we're going to be reminded again. Look at verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And look at verse 5 because here's the kicker. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What? You must have what? The same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, Paul doesn't make this a suggestion. He makes this an imperative. He says, if you're going to have this, if you're going to have this comfort of love, if you're going to have this fellowship, if you're going to have this, this love towards one another, if you're going to work stuff out, he says the imperative is that you have the same attitude as Jesus. And then he's going to tell us, and I'm, I didn't put it in your notes, but you can read it at home, and he's going to tell you the attitude that Jesus had. And he says this, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but stripped himself and made himself of no reputation coming in the form of a servant, in the likeness of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every Every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, now I encourage you to obey, not in my presence only, but also in my absence. And then he says something in verse 13 that's powerful. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I just quoted Philippians chapter 2 to you. Why? Now, now, don't get caught up in the quote. Caught up, get caught up in the understanding that he tells me to have the attitude. And then he lays out how that attitude looks like. He had everything, but he was willing to become what? Nothing. He had everything, but he was, he was God, but he came to serve. Who are you? See, within the conflict, within our relationships, when we want it to be self-serving, we will continue having great difficulty. 
But when we want to serve others, it is amazing when we put the emphasis not on other people, but we put the emphasis on the one who called us and say, God, help me to have the same attitude and let me serve in that way. It changes everything in the relationships, especially the ones with whom you have conflict. Jesus did not die for good people. Hello? No, but I'm good. No, you're not. No, you're not. Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for sick people like you and me. Because it's the sick who needs the doctor. And so Jesus wants us to remember that if he's willing to strip himself and make himself of what? No reputation. If he's willing to do that, why are we not? Because I'm telling you right now, when you have the right attitude in dealing with conflict... And when you have the Christ-like attitude in dealing with conflict, you will find. Now, you say, you say, Henny, everybody will like me? That's not what I said. Is that what I said? I mean, honestly, I can say this with all of my heart today. That, and I can say it freely. There is not one person on this planet that I have an issue with. Now, there's some people I don't like, but there's not one person on this planet that I have an issue with. I'm just being very honest. Not one. There's not one. No matter, because I always try, especially the people, I always try to keep my relationships, you know, and especially you say, well, but they mad at you. I, be, I, I can't control how other people feel. I, are you with me? I can't control that. I can't control what other people think. I can't even control what my kids think. So how in the world am I going to worry about what everybody else thinks? But here's what we ought to do. We have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And we work out why. Because we know if we are going to deal with conflict, we must prepare ourselves both spiritually and emotionally. And then next week we're going to talk about practically in dealing with conflict. How do we do it? Let's bow our heads.